Father, we come to you now as a people who are in need of a word from you. God, we need a word of your hope and your encouragement and your love spoken over our lives. We need your word to penetrate down into those cynical, skeptical, dark places in our life. Break in, O oh God, and break up the fallow ground and implant your word so that it might produce fruit in our own hearts and lives that would bring you honor and glory. And so we ask that you would use this space and time that we pause in your presence before your word to do that work in us. And we ask this in Jesus' name and all God's people said, amen. amen. So if you are joining us for the first time, we have been in a series together entitled Wilderness. And what we've said each week is that the wilderness is not only a place on the map, it of course is that. It's a geographical location. It is that space between Egypt and the promised land. Uh, the, the wilderness is the place in between the past that God was bringing his people out of and the future glory he had in store for them in the future. The, the wilderness was that space that they had to traverse in order to get into the promised land. But we've said again and again that the wilderness is not only a place on the map, it is also a space we can find ourselves in. The wilderness, of course, is a place where resources are scarce, where we are wondering how we're going to find food and water. Uh, it is the place where all of the ordinary rhythms of life have been thrown out, and those normal places that we've gone through or we've gone to in order to find, you know, kind of strength and sustenance seem to be absent and missing. And so the wilderness is, is a place we might find ourselves in. And it's interesting, you know, over the last few weeks since we've been in this series, more than just about any other series I can remember, I have received so much feedback and interaction from you all about this series. And I think what I, I'm hearing again and again is that many of you are finding deep resonance with where you are at right now and the stories that we're reading out in the biblical text. You find yourself in a season of wilderness. And maybe for you, it has to do with your marriage. Uh, you know, you're, you're kind of like in that space where it seems like the old places you were have been thrown off and you are waiting for God to bring you into a new and better place. Uh, maybe you recently graduated from college and you were looking for a job. You were hoping to kind of like enter into the workforce and everything has been completely thrown off and you're wondering when is God gonna work again and bring us into a new place? Or maybe for you, all of, you know, even as Natalie was referring to earlier, all of your normal rhythms in life have been thrown off. I mean, who among us hasn't experienced that over the last several months, right? And uh, we can find ourselves struggling with loneliness. And we can be disoriented and discouraged. We can find ourselves in these places of wilderness. And, you know, one of the most common and persistent questions we can ask ourselves in seasons like this is that simple and very basic question, God, where are you? God, where are you when I'm in a place like this? God, where are you when I'm in a desert place, a wilderness place? Where are you? How can I find you in the midst of a time like this? And that's the question that is addressed in the story that we're looking at today. Because in this story, we see a, a, a metaphor or a, a symbol of God's presence 
that gives us an answer to that question, where is God in the wilderness? And what we're going to see in the text today in answer to that question, where is God, is that God is in the cloud, number one. Second, God is in the lead. And thirdly, God is in the tent. God is in the tent. Notice first from our text, God is in the cloud. Look at what it says in Numbers chapter 9, verse 15. On the day that the tabernacle was set up, the cloud covered the tabernacle, the tent of testimony, and at evening it was over the tabernacle like the appearance of fire until morning. So it was always the cloud covered it by day and the appearance of fire by night. And wherever, whenever the cloud lifted over, from over the tent, after that, the people of Israel set out. And in the place where the cloud had settled down, there the people of Israel camped. As long as the cloud rested over the tabernacle, there they remained in the camp. So at this point in the wilderness journeys, uh, Israel has been released from Egypt she was brought from Egypt to Mount Sinai. And God led her to Mount Sinai in a pillar of fire and in a cloud by day. And there at Mount Sinai, God gave instructions to his people on how to live. He gave instructions also on how to build the tabernacle. And of course, the people built the tabernacle. And where we pick up our text, all of that has gone by at the foot of Mount Sinai. And now they're about ready to set out and move again. And it says in our text that the way God revealed himself to his people uniquely throughout the time in the wilderness was through this very palpable, this very visible, and in some ways kind of an unusual symbol of a cloud by day, and a pillar of fire by night. Uh, there's another place in Exodus where it says that the fire by, by night was a symbol of the very, uh, the, the word in Hebrew is the kavod of God. It's his glory. It's his weight. It's his heaviness. And that glory was enveloped in this cloud. And during the day, you couldn't really see it because the light of the sun, but then at night, the, the, the pillar of fire would shine through and it would produce this luminescent cloud in the night. But where was God in the middle of the, the wanderings of wilderness, or the wanderings of Israel in the wilderness? I want you to see that God was in the cloud. You know, in the ancient world, it was not uncommon for large uh, armies to when there were, you know, a large army of hundreds or thousands of people who would be traversing long journeys together to be led in their long journey at night by a pole that at the top of the pole was a large pillar of fire. And then in the daytime, oftentimes those who were at the front line would burn and there would be smoke that would be produced so that the stragglers behind at night that the dark skies couldn't get lost because they could see the light and those who in the day were straggling behind couldn't get lost because of the smoke that was ahead of them. And those symbols of smoke and fire are now picked up and God is now using these symbols to reveal to his people that he is going before them, that he is with them in the wilderness. But God reveals himself to his people 
in the cloud. God was in the cloud. But where was the cloud? Well, the text tells us that the cloud was settled on top of the tabernacle. The tabernacle was a little makeshift tent that was constructed, and it was set right in the middle of the camp. And so where was the cloud? The cloud was enveloping the tabernacle. Where was the tabernacle? Well, the tabernacle, and I want to show you an image of this, the tabernacle was right in the middle of the camp of Israel. So this is pretty fascinating. When Israel constructed her her tabernacle, uh, the Levites, who were the, the workers of the tabernacle, they would sleep kind of and camp all around the tabernacle, thousands of them. And then out beyond that, to the four, you know, to the north, south, and east of the tabernacle were all of the other 12 tribes of Israel. And then right in the middle of it was the tabernacle enveloped in the presence of God that was made palpably present by this cloud. But where was the camp of Israel? Well, the camp was throughout the wilderness. And so the cloud is in the tabernacle. The tabernacle is in the middle of the camp. And the camp is moving from place to place throughout the wilderness. I remember years ago, my sister Kara was working on her dissertation. She had done a PhD or she was working on a PhD at UCLA in Hebrew and ancient Semitic languages. And her dissertation thesis that she was working on was on the presence of God. And I remember just, this was back, I don't know, uh, in the late 90s, I think, uh, maybe early 2000s. But I remember talking with my sister and she was describing to me the distinction between thinking about God's presence as being nomadic or being settled. And she said, you know, in in the ancient Near East, everybody considered God's presence to be settled. That God's presence actually lived or the presence of the gods lived in very sacred places and spaces. And so God's presence dwelt, it inhabited, it lived in, um, in a great palace or maybe a cathedral or a, a beautiful temple. And you would have to take a pilgrimage to go to that place where the presence of God was settled. But my sister said, in the Old Testament, a different vision of God is given. God's presence is not settled. God's presence is nomadic because this is the God who travels with his people throughout the wilderness. Now, let's just press this a little bit further. When the Bible says here that God's presence is made manifest in the cloud, it of course is not saying that the cloud is God. You know, um, the heavens of heavens cannot contain this God. God is the infinite ocean of being and bliss and beauty, and he is eternal, and he is all-powerful, and he is all-knowing, and the universe could not contain the power of this infinite, eternal God. 
What the cloud is, is not God. It's not a container for God. The cloud is a manifest, it's a manifestation of God's palpable presence, his unique manifest presence with his people. In other words, this is the way that God said to his people, I am here in the wilderness with you. But let's just press this even further. Who were these people that God was with in the wilderness? They were a recently liberated group of slaves. Actually, they had been slaves for about 400 years in Egypt. They were poor, they were marginalized, they were oppressed, they were taken advantage, they were abused. And when you have that kind of generational legacy of slavery and oppression, what does that do for your outlook on life? Not much, right? And so this was an oppressed, an enslaved, a a beaten up group, and they had recently been liberated, I mean, just months before coming out of Israel. And if you are coming out of Egypt, and if you ask the question, where is the unique and special place? I mean, get this. Where is the unique and special place where the true and living God, the creator of all things, where is the the special place in the whole world? I mean, in the whole cosmos, where is the special, the unique place where he makes his palpable, unique presence known to say, I am here with you? Where is that? It is right in the middle of a camp of former slaves who are wandering around in the desert. They are homeless. They are landless. They don't have a nation. They don't have borders. They don't have a flag. They don't have an army. They are landless, wandering, refugee people recently liberated from slavery. And this is the place, and these are the people where the true and living God chooses to dwell with in a unique and palpable and special way. Isn't that beautiful? And we could just even press this a little bit further. You know, the cloud, it's not God. The cloud is God manifesting himself. This is God showing himself visible. You know, they can look up. They can see the cloud by day. They can see the pillar of fire by night. It's a visible manifestation of God because God here is choosing to reveal himself to his people. He's choosing to reveal himself to us. And when God pulls back the curtain for humanity and he discloses in this powerful, unique way who he is, Note well, he reveals himself as the God who is in the middle of the wilderness, the most difficult, hardest places, with a recently liberated people who are still landless and homeless and borderless and armyless. And this is how God is revealing himself in this story. Now, of course, God manifesting himself in the cloud is just a glimpse into how God will ultimately manifest himself when he manifests himself in and through his son, Jesus. You know, the fire, the pillar of fire, the kavod, the glory of God is engulfed in a cloud in the wilderness. But 2,000 years ago, the fire, the very kavod, the glory of God was enfleshed in Jesus, when God became flesh and dwelt among us. 
And if you think, you know, sometimes when you look up at the clouds, have you ever had this thing where you're laying on your back on the grass? Maybe you remember this as a child. Maybe you still do this, those of you who are child at heart. And you've thought, uh, what, what kind of pictures do you see in the clouds, you know? And it's open to interpretation, isn't it? And sometimes you see stuff. Sometimes the clouds reveal something to you. And there's a very real sense in which God's revelation of himself through the Old Testament scriptures is, is indistinct. It can be hazy. And, and there, there, of course, there's much in the Old Testament that is it's luminous. It's the glory of God illuminating and shining through this cloud. But then there's other stuff in the Old Testament that's confusing and odd. And we're like, what does that mean? What does that reveal to us about God? And it's because throughout the Old Testament, Israel is bearing witness to, they're giving testimony to their encounter with God. But their encounter with God was only in part. It was still hazy. It was still foggy and cloudy. But you know, in Jesus, that which is foggy and cloudy takes on a very distinct, particular, fleshly character. So that Jesus says, if you've seen me, you have seen the Father. In other words, Jesus is the fullest disclosure of God's true self. Jesus is the most of God you will ever hope to see. You know, the Bible says no one has seen God at any time, but the only begotten God who is at the Father's side, he has disclosed him to us. And when God discloses himself to us through Jesus, what do we see? We see an even clearer, a more distinct picture of the God who is with his people, especially when they are in the wilderness especially when they are in hard places and hard times. This is not a God who goes and meets people in palaces and in temples and in beautiful cathedrals. This is a God who first and foremost meets us where we are at in our own wilderness. And listen, I go through all this stuff simply to say this, that wherever you are at, Whatever wilderness you might find yourself in, you are not alone. God is there. In Jesus, God reveals himself as the God who is Emmanuel, the God who is with us, the God who is near to his people, the God who, who inhabits, who lives in the very middle of his people, you know, as we traverse our way through the wilderness. And one more little point of application just before we move on to our second point. You know, I was thinking about um, the last, you know, almost year now we've been meeting outside of the sanctuary. And I don't know about you all, but I love our sanctuary. I, I, I'm kind of taken by beautiful church architecture and I love the stained glass. I love the beautiful hardwood floors that were liberated from the red carpet. Now the glory of that Douglas fir shines forth. Can I get a witness? And um, I, I love our sanctuary. And, you know, there's, there's been like rhetoric throughout COVID of people saying, asking questions like, when are you going to open up the church again? The church has been shut down. When is it going to open again? Listen, the church has not been shut down. The government cannot shut down the church. And the gates of hell cannot overcome the church. And we have never ceased being the church. 
And listen, God doesn't need a building to meet us in. God meets us right here. God is in the middle of our own journey where we're out, out in this cold, Southern California cold, 60 degree weathers. We're all tortured out here. And listen, we're going to go back into the building, hopefully in not too long. But listen, God is with us out here. And God is with you throughout the week. And God is with you wherever you might find yourself because this is the God who reveals himself in a cloud, traversing nomadically with his people through the barren landscape of a desert. So number one, God is in the cloud in our wilderness. But secondly, I want you to see that God is in the lead. God is in the lead. Look at, this is kind of a major point in this text. Look at back what it says in uh, verse 19. It says, even when the cloud continued over the tabernacle many days, the people of Israel kept the charge of the Lord and did not set out. Sometimes the cloud was a few days over the tabernacle, and according to the command of the Lord, they remained in the camp. And according to the command of the Lord, they set out. And sometimes the cloud remained from evening until morning. And when the cloud lifted in the morning, they set out. Or if it continued for a day and a night, when the cloud lifted, they set out. But whether it was two days or a month or longer time, that the cloud continued over the tabernacle abiding there, the people of Israel remained in the camp and they did not set out. But when it lifted, they set out. Now, let me just, in the simplest of terms, say what this text is saying. Listen, in our text, it doesn't say that the cloud followed the people. It says that the people followed the cloud. Let me just repeat that. The cloud didn't follow the people. The people followed the cloud. In other words, uh, the cloud would envelop the tabernacle and it might be there overnight it might be there for a week. It might be there for a full month. And then the cloud would lift, and then the cloud would start moving, and then the people would get up, and they would start following the cloud. It wasn't the case that the people would be like, you know, we've been here for too long. Let's just get up and come on, cloud. And then they start going their, their, you know, their direction, they're marching on. They're like, come on, cloud, follow me. No, 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 no. The people followed the cloud, and listen, it's very, very, very clear what the message is. God is leading, God is out ahead of his people, and the role of his people are to see where God is going and to follow God where God is going. You know, it's fascinating. When God became flesh in Jesus and dwelt among us, when the fire of God was enfleshed, not in a cloud, but, in, but was engulfed in the human flesh of Jesus, when God came and inhabited humanity in Jesus, you know, the first command that Jesus issued to his disciples, you know what it was? It was the command, follow me. It was as if Jesus was saying, look, uh, I am the new cloud, coming out ahead of my people, and the role of my people is to carefully watch where I go, and that is where they ought to go as well. In other words, we are called to walk as those who follow Jesus. And let me just press this a little bit further, because I think, you know, um, and exactly what this is getting at, you know, 
sometimes our attitude can be, I just want God to show up and bless the thing that I want God to bless. I'm interested in this cute girl. God, I'm moving towards her, and now, God, I want you to follow me, and I want the cloud to descend on that that relationship. Or, uh, God, you know... um, um, I, I want to pursue a new job. I want to I do some stuff with my business. And, and now I'm going to move in this direction. Now, God, I want you to come and I want you to, I want you to descend. I want the cloud to descend and bless my business. God, I, want, I like this candidate. And God, uh, let, this is what I'm into. And now, God, I want you to come and I want you to come and, and bless my candidate. I want you to bless my work. I want, you to, I want you to come and bless the relationships I want to be in. God, I want you to come and follow me and bless what I want you to bless. But this is not the way of the Christian life. This is not the way of following Jesus. The way of following Jesus, God is not your sugar daddy, and he's not your lucky charm who's there simply to ensure that all of the things you want to happen will happen. God reveals himself to to us in Jesus as our Lord and our master and our king. And our reaction is to fall at his feet and say, command me. You are my master, I will follow you. Jesus, I will follow you in the wilderness. You know, you have come, you have come to be with me and now I will be with you and I will follow you in whatever wilderness I am going through. Jesus, I see you walking out ahead and and forging the path of forgiveness and reconciliation and relational healing. And even though I don't want to go there, that is the path I will follow you in. Jesus, I see you walking forward in a path of generosity and sacrificial living. Jesus, this is the path I will follow you in. Jesus, I see you going down that path of freedom from anxiety and worry. Jesus, I will walk with you down this path and learn how to let go of my need to dominate and control others and all that. And I will learn how to, I will learn freedom from my my anxieties. Jesus, I see you getting up from the table and washing the disciples' feet. I will get up and I will move forward in acts of service and love and washing people's feet. Jesus, I will follow you because you are my Lord and my master. And so where God reveals himself to his people in the wilderness, he reveals himself first as the God in the cloud, but secondly, as the God in the lead. He comes to be with us so that he might guide us and lead us and we might follow. And I think one of the great problems in the church today is that so many of us have the dominant voice in our life, the dominant controlling voice in our life, that shapes our values and our priorities and what we spend money on and what we dream about and uh, all the ways in which we live and treat other. The dominant voice sometimes is anything other than Jesus. And what this is a call for us in the wilderness is to follow Jesus wherever he leads us because he is in the lead. So number one, we see in the cloud, God is in the cloud as we're walking through the wilderness. Secondly, God is in the lead. He is going before us and our job is to go off and to follow him. But thirdly, I want you to see that he is in the tent. 
God is in the tents. I want to bring uh, this picture back up again. So this is an image that's actually a life-size reproduction of the tabernacle. So if you're new to Christianity, uh, here's what you need to know. Uh, in, In... The Old Testament here in the wilderness, God meets his people on Mount Sinai and he gives them instructions, get this, on a tent they're supposed to build that God himself is going to inhabit. But he doesn't just give them instructions on the tent, he also gives them instructions on all of the furniture for the tent. And in some ways, uh, this, this is all laid out in the book of Exodus. It reads something like an Ikea furniture manual. Like, there's very specific instructions, but nobody knows how to put it together. And, um, but he gives instructions for all the different equipment, the utensils, the furniture in the temple or in the tabernacle. And then he, he gives all this instruction on uh, the garments the priests are to wear when they're in the tabernacle. And then all of these instructions all throughout the book of Leviticus on all of the different random, not random, but specific, there's nothing random about it, but sacrifices the people or the priests are to offer up while they're in the tabernacle. And so it's only after, get this, uh, it's only after God gives the instructions on the tabernacle. He gives instructions on the furnishings, uh, instructions on the priesthood and all the garments the priests are to wear and how they perform all the proper sacrifices and rituals regarding uh, the tabernacle. It's only after all of that instruction is given and then the instruction is obeyed and the people actually build the tabernacle, they construct all the pieces and it's all neatly kind of like built up so that it could be uh, built up and then put back together again. And I, I, I imagine that uh, back in the ancient Near East, when God gave the instructions for this tent, uh, he, he also prescribed containers for the tent to uh, be carried in from one location to the next. And I think it was probably like um, uh, our tents, where the container, the little bag that you put the tent in is too small for the tent. And you can never get that thing back in. And I think it began right here in the Bible. I'm just kidding. I don't, I just, that was random. I just threw that out there. Um, But what's fascinating is that prior to the instructions and the building of the tabernacle, God's God's presence in the cloud and in the fire is going out ahead of his people. At times it goes behind his people so that it protects them from the Egyptians. But before the tabernacle is constructed and built and the priesthood is established, God never dwells in the middle of his people. It's only when the tabernacle is constructed and the priesthood is established and the sacrifices are offered that God's presence, the cloud descends and can actually be in the middle of his people. Why is that? It's because the children of Israel knew something that almost all the ancient peoples knew and it's something that many of us as 21st century modern people have forgotten. And they knew that you just can't saunter into the presence of the true and living God who is holy, holy, holy. 
You can't just saunter into his presence at any time. There actually has to be some sort of mediation for God's presence. Something that allows you to enter the presence of God, something that allows God's presence to be among us. And the reason for that is that we as human creatures are always falling short of God's holiness and God's goodness and God's love. And and we are broken people. It's difficult for broken people to dwell in the presence of this kind of holy love. You know, uh, I was talking recently to a friend who had, uh, she was all uh, upset with herself because she had double booked herself for her job. And so she had recently gotten a job and, and, um, and she had scheduled herself for the first week or the manager had scheduled her. And she realized that she had double booked herself with something that she had previously arranged a couple months back and she didn't realize it. So she had to call her, her, her manager and she was terrified to have to share this news with her manager that she had double booked herself and this is like her first week of work and how can this be? And, and she felt so stupid and so bad about herself and so like, you know, and, and, and I get all of that, don't you? And the reason is, is because you don't want to inconvenience somebody and you feel bad, you kind of want to do it right on your job, and you want to uh, get it right, and, and you realize it, 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 you know, it might bother and inconvenience your manager, and it might bother the other employees. And, and yeah, there's an aspect of that where you're just a little bit embarrassed, and you wish you wouldn't have done that, and you feel a little bit stupid. But there's also something going on there. You just feel like you let somebody down. And listen, if we can feel just even a little bit of fear and trepidation and talking to a manager about letting them down in a very minor way and inconveniencing them, how, is, how, how, how will we feel when we stand before the true and living God who is not just our manager, but who is the creator of all things and recognize that we just haven't you know, inconvenienced the schedule around the, the, the job and the work he's managing here in creation, but we've actually contributed to the violent like, uh, world that is so full of darkness. We have actually participated in this darkness. And before God's presence, we should feel shame and feel like something needs to be done. And so God actually gave Israel the tabernacle and the priesthood and the sacrificial system as a way to say, look, something can be done. Like your wrongs that you've done can be dealt with through this mediatory process, through the sacrifices and through the priesthood and through the tabernacle. You can come near to me and I can come near to you. But of course, the tabernacle in the wilderness was just a foretaste of the ultimate tabernacle that would come among humanity in Jesus when God himself would take on flesh and dwell among us and and Jesus himself would be the true and final tabernacle. He would be the true and final priest. He would offer the true and final sacrifice that that would enable the very presence and love of God to flood into our life. And it came through Jesus. And so through Jesus, we can actually approach the true and living God. You know, through Jesus, we discover that God doesn't simply want to give us laws to lead us. He does want to do that so that we follow. He actually wants to be the God who is near to us, who we can cultivate 
a life-giving relationship with. And you know, you might be new to Christianity and I just wanna let you know that that relationship is available to you. God has come near to you. He says, look, I love you. I want you. Come near to me and you can enter into a relationship of love and life. You can be forgiven of everything you've done wrong and I can come and be with you. But you just must come and receive this free gift. Our great God and Father, we come to you now and we thank you for your goodness and for your love. We thank you that you have not left us on our own, but you have come after us. We thank you that you are a God who is near us. And I pray, oh God, that you would enable us now to be near you, to be close to you. Help us, oh God, to find new strength in you, to walk out from this place, to follow you wherever you lead us. And we ask this in, your, in the name of your son, Jesus, who came among us to rescue us. Amen.